0: blog talk radio
1: stop wasting time with Mr. Wrong and decide to prepare yourself to find Mr. Right Mr. Wrong will never be Mr. Right now is the time to say goodbye to Mr. Wrong right now get out of the singles bars and off the internet because Mr. Wright is waiting for you on your own personal divine path. Mr. Wright wants to get married as much as you do. Mr. Wright wants everything you want devoted love, acceptance, appreciation, honesty, validation, and faithfulness. So get ready to find Mr. Wright. Join wedding officiant Reverend Marcianne. As she shares with you her twenty years of experience meeting with thousands of brides and grooms and hearing their love stories of what works and what doesn't work. Every week, Reverend Marcy Ann will be expanding on the ideas and principles that she has written about in her book, Seventeen Things to Do While Waiting for Mr. Right, which is available at www.mrrightforme.com and at amazon.com. And now, here is Marcy Ann.
0: Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, This is Marcianne. It's Friday night, (laughs) traditional night to maybe have a date with Mr. Wright. So tonight I wanted to talk to you about a man who has been to war. Because if you're dating a man who is a combat war veteran, or if you meet... A man, and he tells you that he's a combat war veteran, then you need to know some things about this man. Because this is not a normal guy who lives next door and wakes up and brushes his teeth and gets a cup of coffee and goes off to work. This possibility of Mr. Wright for you is a man who has been to war. Uh, Now, I dated a combat war veteran for a while, and he told me his story. He grew up in a small town in the Midwest. He was three years old when World War II ended. He went to a conventional high school and graduated and was immediately drafted to go to war. And that war was the Vietnam War. He was sent to combat war training, you know, shipped around the U.S. to learn various combat war strategies and then he was sent to Vietnam. He was 19 years old. Now, the Vietnam War was the first war the United States was involved in after the Department of War was changed to the Department of Defense. <clears throat> the War Department existed from 1789 until September 18th, 1947, right after the end of World War II, when it was split into the Department of the Navy, the Department of the Air Force, and the Department of the Navy was part of the new Joint National Military Establishment, which was then renamed the United States Department of Defense in 1949. Now at the heart of the conflict of the Vietnam War was the desire of North Vietnam uh who to unify the entire country under a single communist regime modeled after those in Russia and China Kind of sounds familiar does it these these uh, um, desires of <laughs> of countries and People like ISIS. The, South, the but the South Vietnamese government didn't wanted to stay in alignment with the U.S. <clears throat> so the U.S. military advisors began to be involved in small numbers around the 1950s. But then, by 1969, the United States had more than 500,000 U.S. military active combat units in. Vietnam. It wasn't until 1995 that uh, any official estimates of the war dead from the Vietnam War was ever released. But now it's known that as many as 2 million civilians and some 1.1 million uh, North Vietnamese and Viet Cong fighters were killed. And 58,200 members of the US armed forces were killed. And today North Vietnam North Vietnam is still communist and South Vietnam is still aligned with the West. So 3,158,200 people died to keep south vietnam free of communist control. Well, when the war uh, the combat war veteran I dated got to Vietnam, he saw atrocities that he just couldn't comprehend. Their unit would storm into a small village and kill everybody in it, including all the women and the children. Why are we doing this? he would ask. Their screams of agony as his machine gun riddled their bodies was deeply embedded in his mind. But the lieutenant in charge of his unit would just say, oh, there might be Viet Cong hiding in this village. We have to kill everyone. And if there was was a village where Viet Cong were hiding, and they did do that, masking as villagers, There would be war, and I mean real war, not computer game on your phone, real Vietnam, Viet Cong popping up out of wells or running out from behind trees, blasting their machine guns, tossing hand grenades. He said you would never know when something was going to blast off right in front of you. Someone would come right up behind you and hit you to the ground, pointing a rifle in your face. He saw so many of his fellow warriors massacred, beheaded right before his eyes. And every time he survived, he would ask, Why me? Why me? Why am I still alive? And they're dead. And then the lieutenant would say, Well, go pick up all those body parts and bring them back to the camp, arms and legs and fingers and toes. And he said, Well, how am I going to know which body these go to? but the body bags were just opened up, and however much of the body was left would be put in it with just any various fingers and toes or arms and legs were thrown in without ever ever knowing if it belonged to that body or not. And moms and dads got those body bags sent back to them so they could have a memorial service and try to have some kind of closure about losing their son to this ununderstandable defensive-type position that the new U.S. Department of Defense was now advocating at that time, and they never knew that those body parts might not have been their son. These combat war veterans were innocent young men, 19, 20 years old, played football in high school. Kissed a girl for the first time in the back seat of Dad's car at the drive-in movie. The boy I dated was looking forward to going to college, and and then he wanted to go to law school and become a lawyer. But that pres- letter from the president ordering him to active duty to, to defend his country changed all that. And he had a high school girlfriend. And before he left for Vietnam, they had an emotional goodbye. Because she was his first love And he loved her for Vietnam With the hope in his heart Of them being able to be together When he came back home I marry lots of couples Before the man goes to war It seems that a man can face The ravages of warfare easier If he knows that someone at home Still loves him And if he's married And he gets killed The wife would get his military benefits So couples do get married before the man goes to war. And apparently, in the mind of this man I dated, he held on to that hope in his heart that his girlfriend was home, keeping the home fires burning. But they were just kids in high school. She was only 16 years old. They weren't engaged. And I'm sure that it it was her parents who were responsible for her writing the Dear John letter to this young soldier laying down his life on the battlefield in Vietnam, fighting in a line in the sand and then having to step back. He was devastated. And today, 40 years later, he's still devastated by this abandonment. And he does not trust love. He does not trust women. He's distant and unconnected. And when he got home from the war, he met a girl and desperately was trying to have some sort of connection again and to feel like someone would love him. And he was making his plans to go to school through his GI benefits to get his college degree and then go to law school. But right away, this girl told him, I'm pregnant. And there went the plans for the school down the drain. He had to get a job and earn a living and prepare to make a home for this woman And this baby that she says is his. So now betrayal enters into the picture. And he says, on our first date, can you imagine this? So after my high school sweetheart abandons me while I'm fighting for my country, this bitch tricks me into getting married. So the die was cast, and within a year they were divorced. And pretty soon he married again for a while. And he and his second wife ran a business together, which was probably the only reason they stayed together far longer than the relationship warranted. And they also had two children. But since then, he's had on and off again relationships, one with one woman who kept coming back after she would leave him because she couldn't make it on her own. But she would tell him it would be okay if he got his sex somewhere else. She wouldn't mind. I only lasted through three dates with him, He was just too damaged for me. And then when he told me that his income was from 100% military disability, I knew that this damaged man was pretty much set in concrete in staying 100% disabled. And he would not be open to exploring any alternative or spiritual healing techniques. It was his way or the highway. Well, adding to the post-traumatic stress syndrome from his participation in the Vietnam War, he also was a young adult in the 60s, which the 60s, they were called that in both scholarship and popular culture. It's a term used by historians and journalists and academics, in some cases nostalgically describing that counterculture and revolution of social norms about clothing, music, drugs, dress, sexuality, formalities, schooling. And conservatives greatly denounced that decade as one of irresponsible excess, flamboyance, and disturbing decay of proper social order. That decade was also labeled the swinging 60s because of the relaxation of social taboos, especially relating to racism and sex that occurred during that time. But I think the change in our nation's national position concerning war that used to be win the war to just a defensive action with unclear boundaries, I believe this fueled a backlash within the hearts of the people, not only in the United States, but the world. And it became the tsunami that took us to Korea and then to Iraq and Afghanistan which has killed 2.3 million people, and what has uh, brought us up to today, peace with airstrikes. I could tell early on that this damaged combat war veteran I dated had apparently found some sort of comfort in investigating all of these revolutions and countercultures of the 60s. It seemed to be a way for him to relieve stress and to be in groups that were fragrant flagrantly anti-everything, because it seemed to help him perhaps reintegrate himself back into civilian life, because still today, he does dress in a more flamboyant style, always sports a hat, even though he has beautiful curly hair, And but I have to say, <laughs> they're cute hats, and he's real cute wearing them. <laughs> he's very good looking, has a great body, is in great physical shape. But, and I told him this, you're strong as an ox, you're smart as a fox, but you're emotionally disconnected, and you are spiritually dead. But in his true combative manner, he said, don't you judge me. That doesn't make you an attractive person to me. So as of September 24, 2014, we have over 22 million combat war veterans in this country. Now, 9% of these are females, so that means that there are over 20 million men out there who are combat war veterans. And when you consider someone that you think might be Mr. Wright, and you find out that he's one of these 20 million men out there who are combat war veterans, you need to know some things, first of all. A man who's been trained in combat thinks defensively. He's taught to be on guard, ready for action. I believe that combat war training accentuates the levels of instinct and intuition that we bring in from the animal realm. If you've ever watched a pack of coyotes hunt, you get the idea. Three coyotes stalked me one day while I was walking my dog several years ago down by the creek that runs through my property. And two of them held me in focus, and I had to say I was terrified, while the third one went after my dog. And as soon as he grabbed the dog and instantly broke its neck, the three of them dashed away to their undisclosed den in the woods. It was like the two who held me terrified were listening for that crack, and they instantly turned for the woods, joined instantly by the one that had my dog while they were like they were all in one mind. And that teamwork and their keen instincts and intuition made a formidable killing machine that was successful. And they had a hearty meal that night. Well, combat war training advocates these animal instincts and puts them to use as a highly tuned killing machine, only this time you're killing women and children and no one gets a hearty meal. The body parts are just gathered up and thrown into a refrigerator in a big black bag. So a combat war veteran is always on guard. He's instinctively looking and listening for any type of attack or unknown assailant. They're very easily startled or frightened, never come up from behind them. He might whirl around subtly with great force and attack, and don't flash something or bring something from out beyond their peripheral vision. They might swat at it and slap you and if there's a sudden sound, they jump and they 'll throw their hands up in front of their face, something as normal as a refrigerator turning on or off or someone blowing their horn that also that horn blowing can also trigger very aggressive behavior like rolling down the window and shouting the guy what's your problem asshole i noticed that the combat war veteran i dated was never at fault about anything either he has no conception about taking responsibility for his actions he's a total victim every time he he, i didn't what did i do wrong he, never, he always sees the other person as the perpetrator, the instigator, the tormentor. He's the innocent victim. From getting the Dear John letter, to getting tricked into getting married, to listing all the things he's done for women who don't appreciate it, or him, or never say thank you, or do anything back for him. That's why I always celebrate my birthday alone, he says. That way I'm not disappointed. Well, this catch-all disability for combat war veterans is called post-traumatic stress syndrome. Now, other symptoms include irritability with an inability to have a normal discussion that's perceived as judgmental or hostile to them. They cannot take any kind of what we used to call (laughs) constructive criticism, they must always be right. They must always make all the plans. And my experience was that apparently I'm just supposed to go along and be happy. However, it made me feel like I was nothing. They usually manifest a great aggressive behavior, like they have to have the control. They have to be in charge. Now, part of this need to be in control while they are awake is that most of these men have recurrent distressing memories, flashbacks, nightmares. They'll be back in the time of the war with all the sights and sounds of war like they are real and going through it again right then. And They'll wake up in the night in total body sweats, sometimes screaming, shaking all over. And even in the daytime, just crossing the street with a car waiting for the light If they start to rev their engine, it can bring a panic to the combat war veteran who instinctively wants to try to find some place to hide. And many can't work at a regular job that has any kind of noise or regular kind of racket going on in the environment. A common symptom of the post-traumatic stress syndrome is emotional numbness in whatever way the veteran accomplishes it. Many turn to drugs or alcohol to try to deaden the memories, to try to cope with the emotional and physical distress. The combat war veteran I dated walks six miles a day because he says it's to bring himself down, to keep him grounded and centered. And these men have difficulty maintaining a close relationship. They just can't experience positive emotions anymore. Their experiences are too deeply embedded in their emotional psyche. And perhaps the most damaging symptom of all is their negative feelings that they have about themselves. Because most of these men have overwhelming guilt and shame because they have killed innocent people. 1.1 million of the people that were killed in the Vietnam War were civilians, women and children, And old people. And whether you've had a Christian background or not, this country was established by Christian people who fled the state religious practices of England and came here to have religious freedom. But that didn't mean that they threw out their religion. The men who established this country were men of God who knew what the Bible says, and the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. I'll try not to digress here and go into a rampage about the current video games our kids are playing where they're killing people all the time and being rewarded for it. And I would hope that you could still go up to a young child and ask them if it's okay to kill people, and they would say no. Because I believe we are an eternal soul, and within the life stream of our soul, there is that truth that life is sacred, life is precious and it is wrong to kill. So deep within the recesses of these combat war veterans is that knowing within their soul that they have violated a sacred trust and they stole that precious life from that soul and they feel ashamed and they feel guilty and they feel overwhelming sorrow in their heart and many of them set up self-destructive behaviors to serve to punish themselves, like the priests of old who would flagellate themselves until they bled. I only had three dates with this combat war veteran, but I could see patterns of behavior that created these self-destructive actions, guaranteed to make me mad and angry, so that he could then be delighted that I was just like all the other women out there, And after the first time he did it, and I did get upset, he was so delighted. But then I recognized it the second time, and I quickly sidestepped the opportunity to express myself in reaction. And instead, I made a joke, (laughs) which completely disrupted his anticipated delight in seeing me all upset. And then he didn't know what to do, so he just said, I've got to go. And it was after that that he got the Dear John text from me. There are also other ways that war affects people. Recently I played bingo at a local high school who uses bingo to raise money for their music uh, program so that they can buy instruments and uniforms for their band. And also the band can take great trips to do competitions, and the kids have a wonderful time. And my grandson played saxophone in the band at his high school, and he enjoyed it so much, so I believe in supporting this in my local community. And there was a man sitting next to me, and during the break, we were chatting. And we were talking about parenting and the parents of the kids, you know, and the band that volunteer and do all the work of the bingo. And he said, my dad was killed in the war. I mean, there was something about our uh, conversation that, brought that up and i said well how old were you he said six years old so i did some mental math real quick and i realized he was close to my age so when we older folks talk about the war we mean the great war the war that was supposed to end all wars world war ii and this man at his age was still hurt by losing his dad in the war and when he said that my dad was killed in the war I could feel the heartbreak. I could feel the abandonment. I could feel how he felt how unfair it was, how unnecessary it was, how there was no way to make up for the loss. And I noticed that when he left, he walked with slumped over shoulders, manifesting that heaviness in his heart. He said he was really close to his mother, but she was now past let me tell you, this man would not be a good candidate to be Mr. Wright unless you want to have to mother him. So, I wanted to do this show tonight because I think that we, as we women, have a belief system that if we find a man who is damaged or needs a mother, we think we can fix them. But I say in my wedding ceremony, do you love this man willingly and completely? withholding nothing, and do you accept him just the way he is? Because this question is designed specifically to ferret out any hidden agendas, as well as reveal any areas where an annulment might be established. So if you're going to be involved with a combat war veteran, you have to go into that relationship knowing that this is a man who has special needs and is a very damaged person. There are over 20 million of these men out there, and you would need to be a strong, independent, self-sufficient woman who doesn't have any needs of her own to have a combat war veteran be Mr. Right.
1: Thanks for listening to The Finding Mr. Right Show with your host, Marcy Ann. You can purchase Marcy Ann's book at www.mrrightforme.com or reach Marcy Ann at www.marcyann.com. And please join us every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time for more ways to finding Mr. Right.